Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Scott Flanagan. I'm excited to be guest hosting today for Karen Weaver. Now, the title of this podcast is about trustees and presidents in intercollegiate athletics. We're really going to focus in on that governance role with today's guest. It's my pleasure to be joined by Peter Eckel. Dr. Eckel is a senior fellow in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania. Among his many other roles, Peter's the co-director of the Penn Project on University Governance. Peter is a prolific author, and he grounds his work in sound research, and more importantly, he helps practitioners put that research to use. That's a difficult combination, but it's one he successfully carried off again recently with his co-author, Kathy Trower, in their book, Practical Wisdom, Thinking Differently About College and University Governance. Peter is one of the most astute observers, researchers, and practitioners of higher education governance literally in the world, as he's done work not just in the United States, but across the globe. And he's the perfect person to talk to about the relationship between university governance and intercollegiate athletics, the topic of today's podcast. I always find our conversations to be enlightening and Peter's comments insightful. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Trustees and po Presidents podcast, Dr. Peter Eckel. Good morning, Peter. How are you today? Great. Thanks, Scott. I'm glad to be here. You know, I think we've talked about a lot of topics over the years, but this will probably be the first time that intercollegiate athletics is, is a central one. But let's, let's start, you know, you've devoted a lot of, of uh, time in, in your career to the topic of university governance. Why do you think this is such an important topic? Why are you so interested in, in that particular topic? Oh, I think, um, you know, I've very much spent my career thinking about the intersection of um, practice and scholarship and how do we help university leaders and those decision makers think differently about their own work, uh, be more intentional about their work as well. And so you know, I worked for a long time with presidents and provosts and when I had the opportunity to become the vice president association and governing board, it really put me into that board sphere. And one of the things that struck me um, as I was there for three years was about how governance was underplayed and underdeveloped, um, that it seemed to be an, an underutilized asset, a strategic asset. For institutions and so it got me thinking about well why is this the case and you know there's a lot of you know understanding and common shared wisdom that presidents pass from one to another um, and that boards develop on their own as well but it just seemed to be that um, governance wasn't wasn't living up to the role that it can and should be and make the provide the value that would really help uh, help institutions move forward. Um, as Kathy and I write in our book, you know, there's way too many boards that were striving for mediocrity. And the goal is how can we help, how can we help boards really move in a way that creates value for their institutions? Um, and recognizing that we needed a lot more time and attention uh, around, around that topic, um, both with boards and with current leaders and with emerging leaders. And, and that's always been true. And I suspect that that, like every leadership role right now, has had some things heightened and some things changed as, as, as institutions and leaders try to navigate the course that we've been on for the past six months or so and for the foreseeable future. What, are the, what, what kinds of issues have been elevated um, as trustees and leaders, 
really work through the immediate impact of, of COVID-19. Well, I think even before we got to COVID, I think we've seen an acceleration around the importance of boards uh, as those, those strategic players and strategic assets and institutions in the last few months or last few years as institutions, as competition, finances, um, you know, the value of higher education continues to uh, continue to be challenged and under threat in pretty dynamic environments. So, you know, even from my even from moving from my time at AGB into Penn, um, I saw a change in board, what we call boards in transition. That more boards recognizing that what they used to do uh, was no longer sufficient for the current environment and the current context. Um, oftentimes, boards develop that own insight if there's a change in presidents and the new president uh, has different expectations or different demands or. Uh, for the board, but we also see it from presidents, uh, a new generation of presidents saying, I need a board that's much more active and engaged and strategic. And so I think we've seen that we've seen that shift over the last three to five years. Um, uh, I think it existed before, but I think a, in stronger, uh, higher volume, uh, more institutions in that category. But I think the pandemic has further accelerated some of that change. Um, I think there's some uh, I think we'll see governance shift at, both in and through the pandemic. You know, I think um, the pandemic has pushed boards to very much focus on the immediate and the problem solving, um, which means that hopefully they won't lose sight of that as we move through the pandemic, uh, that they need to not just be involved in those, those daily operations uh, in different ways during a crisis situation, but also to create, figure out the right balance between the oversight work of boards, strategic work of boards, and uh, again, that problem solving work, uh, work of boards. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of boards that are, that their current habits are elevated and amplified in today's environment in the pandemic. So boards that are high functioning, that do add a lot of value, that are those strategic partners, that understand the balance between the different work of governance are continuing in that vein. At the same time, boards that have bad habits, sloppy habits uh, are continuing in their vein, which creates even, I think, even a stronger challenge uh, for institutions and the presidents as well. Um, and so I think as boards move ahead, they've got to figure out what are the good habits we want to elevate? What are the bad habits we want to jettison? Um, uh, that I think hopefully the pandemic is helping boards think differently about, about their work. They're meeting differently, meeting virtually. Um, that means they need to prepare differently as well. Uh, oftentimes board members for private boards that meet three or four times a month or a year may not think about governance or their institutions all that often between board meetings. The pandemic puts higher education clearly on everyone's radar screen uh, is, a constant, is a constant rather than episodic way to spend their time and energy. Uh, and I think boards right now are also being overwhelmed by details. You know, they're having to get into the nuances of faculty handbooks and air circulation ratios and student behaviors um, in ways that they've not in the past. Uh, and what that means is that some boards are, uh, we see some trustees who are overwhelmed by that detail and back away from their, their governing roles because they just don't understand or are familiar or comfortable with the work that their the information being put in front of them. Others are actually going the opposite way and all this detail they see is a, a great opportunity to micromanage, which puts presidents in a difficult spot. Both of those put presidents uh, in a different difficult spot, the under-engaged board and the over-engaged board. Uh, and so, I think we're going to have to, boards will be more intentional as we move through the pandemic saying 
what have what have we done the last six months, last twelve months, last eighteen months? What's can what should we continue to do as we move forward, and how should we rethink some of our board practices? So hopefully the pandemic will make boards at the tail end once we're through a lot of the crisis um, be much more res re responsive and intentional in uh, in how they govern. You know what's interesting is as we think about how disruptive this time is in higher ed and society and. and some in, in some ways it's, it's disruptive in others uh, i would say and and i might even argue more predominantly it, it has accelerated trends that were already underway right. and it has revealed circumstances that were either um not seen or perhaps not easy to see but but right. but clearly and, and i think that goes peter to your point about you know the good, the good boards, that's clear, and the boards that struggle, that's that's clear, but everything is sort of intention, is sort of magnified in, yep. in the current setting. One of the things that, that you talked about was sort of that, you know, that, that, that where on that continuum between micromanaging and abdication, mm -hmm. right? Neither one's an important, is an appropriate way to, to govern. Let's talk a little bit about intercollegiate athletics and just share from your perspective what you think the appropriate role for boards and trustees is uh, in oversight and decision-making around intercollegiate athletics. Yeah, um, athletics is a, is a tough one in boardrooms um, and I'm not quite sure why. I mean, you can speculate around some of these. Now, again, the, the framework that, that I like to work with boards and that Kathy and I talk about um, is boards have three categories of work that they're responsible for. One is the oversight. How do, to what extent do they hold institutions accountable? Uh, and along what dimensions? Um, the second category is problem solving. When issues pop up, how can the board work collaboratively with the president, with the administration around identifying solutions to uh, pressing problems? And the third is that over the strategy perspective, the longer term, um, how should institutions be thinking about certain topics? Uh, how can the board bring um, an enlightened and different perspective into some of these conversations? I think the same holds true with athletics. Um, that uh, I think effective boards will figure out the right balance across those three categories as they focus on athletics. But athletics becomes in many ways, um, uh, I've seen too many boards become enamored with athletics that they forget uh, or they just don't have the same level of um, scrutiny and care that they have with other types of institutional decisions. Um, you know, there was one, one board I worked with uh, that um, uh, the, the vice president who was staffing the uh, athletics committee very proudly wrote, talked about uh, how engaged students are um, in the, the fan clubs and the, the booster programs of, of the institution. And at the end, it was really just signing up for an email list. And was, it was, you know, do you want to get an email from the athletics department? And the board kept going back to this point about how important the institution, the athletics were to the institution, using that metric. And I was like, have you really thought kind of critically about uh, what you're saying and how you're, what you're, the types of um, associations you're making? Um, athletics, you know, I think there's a big difference between Division One and Division Three uh, around what happens in the boardroom, um, how much time and energy um, uh, board members focus on on athletics uh, across those uh, those different types of institutions. Um, 
And I think it's really about how do boards, again, be intentional about how much oversight should we have with athletics? What are the problems and how do we frame those problems to work constructively with the administration? And what's the future mean? Uh, and how are we thinking about how to position our institution uh, for the future? What do you think the, the, um, the implications of the current environment are? I mean, I think that the current topic is we're having this conversation is around, you know, fall sports. I yeah. spoke with the president a few weeks ago who was adamant and his seasons, I, I think, are on track to begin, uh, I think, this weekend. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this from uh, just south of Madison, Wisconsin, where, you know, the Big Ten a few weeks ago decided they weren't going to have fall competitions. The SEC is taking a completely different approach. Tuition-dependent schools are fighting like crazy to try to have fall season because they're worried about the impact on enrollment. What are some of the ways in which, you know, that environment is showing up or perhaps should show up in the kinds of conversations, whether it's around oversight, problem solving or strategy um, that the trustees are dealing with? I think effective boards will um, understand the range of issues that institutions and that they face around athletics. And then um, it's oftentimes what we see, I think the more effective boards are able to understand or at least ask questions around a common issue from very different perspectives. And so, you know, one of the things I love to hear in boardrooms is when, when one trustee will say, is there a different way to think about, think about this, you know, fill in the blank for what the, this is. And I think, um, you know, if it's how boards and administrations frame issues, very much shapes the path that they pursue around those issues. So is athletics being framed as an economic issue? That's gonna drive uh, certain types of conversations and certain questions. Is it framed as a student health issue? That's gonna be framed uh, and drive a different set of questions. Is it framed as you know, a community engagement um, issue? And that's gonna frame some different questions. And so I think the more effective boards will be able to look at, all right, are having conversations about fall athletics from multiple perspectives. And hopefully they've got those, that robust enough conversation in the boardroom, again, for, the, for trustees to say, is there a different way to think about this? You know, is this just a financial conversation? Is it just a health conversation? Is it just an enrollment conversation? The answer is no, but how boards can take a more complex view of what is a, already a complex issue without oversimplifying to rush through it, um, I think boards will be better served. To what extent do you think things like, you know, having a season or not, or deferring one or whatever, to what extent do you think those are appropriately board decisions? And to what extent do you think those are more, you know, decisions that need to be conducted by the, by the president in consultation with the athletic director, certainly with the advice of the board? But talk to me about where, where you think some of the boundary lines there are between, um, between advice and authority. Yeah, um, you know, boards is the fiduciaries, um, you know, does the decisions set a precedent, uh, does it shape policy, um, you know, these are the types of decisions that, that are board responsibility. Um, you know, it's a, it's a gray matter between, you know, is this a strategy or an operation decision? There's dimensions to both. Um, and rather than try to parse, oftentimes, um, a lot of conversations and AGB drove this as well. You know, what are the roles and responsibilities? What are the lanes of faculty, administrators, um, and trustees? I think a, a more appropriate way is what are the questions that boards should be asking 
around their fiduciary responsibilities. Um, and so some of it depends on, some of it very much is based on process. You know, what are the recommendations the administration is making? What are the assumptions around which that um, those decisions or recommendations are being made? Uh, how sound are those assumptions? Uh, are there alternatives to those assumptions? Um, how well they thought through these decisions? Um, and I think boards should be asking not just on the outcome, but the process questions as well uh, to make sure that um, the administration is making sound recommendations and sound decisions. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the board does have, you know, the boards are the fiduciary agents uh, and have a lot of authority in these areas, but they also shouldn't be making these decisions in and of themselves without significant input. Um, you need to trust the administration that they're experts, that they have a lot of access to the data, that they understand these issues fully. But boards need to make sure uh, it's, a, it's a trust but verify approach um, that I think work well in the boardroom. That, you know, how do you, you know, add, from a board perspective, asking the administration, um, what's the work you've done? What are, the, what are the models that you've run? If it's financial or student health, what are the assumptions around those? How confident are you? in those decisions that you that you want us to be able to either make or support uh and then i think it's really i think that's a lot of the the oversight work is not just um uh, second guessing the administration i think that's where we get into trouble but it's asking those process questions um around those assumptions and the other types of factors that they need to need to be considering and i suspect this is one you talked earlier about sort of the frequency of interaction, you know, these move so quickly, right? I just saw a university in the Midwest that had announced, I think two days ago, that they were planning to have 25,000 people. I mean, it was Iowa State, right? They were gonna have yeah. 25,000 people at their first football game. And then they announced this morning, actually, no, we're not. Or maybe it was yesterday night. So these things, are, right, that's not a board action. That's an administrator and a president dealing with public health officials, dealing with feedback from alumni, dealing with whatever the set of, of factors uh, might be, almost by definition, well, it leaves the we government hope that, we, hope there's, you know, we hope there's an open line of communication around those, you know, those the ever, ever moving, uh, to use the sports metaphor, ever moving goalposts uh, that university administrators are trying to, trying to kick through. Um, that, you know, the board chair hopefully has been involved in, in conversation with the president. Again, um, well, I think the other piece we've not talked about is these are extremely stressful times for campus leaders. You know, the uncertainty, um, the demands, you know, higher education is always in the news in the fall, never in the news as much as it is right now, nor around as many complex issues. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, stress in Old Main, so to speak. Um, and people have been working hard and in different ways since the fall or since, you know, since March. Uh, and so people are tired as well. Uh, and so tired and stressed does not always make for clear-headed thinking and makes challenging situations even more challenging. So boards have a role in figuring out how to support, uh, you know, emotionally, professionally, uh, personally, the leaders who are finding themselves in these very difficult situations. Um, social media only amplifies the stress I think the campus leaders are facing in these very difficult and very public decisions. And so boards have a key role in, um, in helping to either deflect some of that stress, minimize it, and support leaders um, as they try to move forward. 
and as I listen to you, it strikes uh, me too that that context is so important. So for so many folks who whose primary way into college athletics is as a fan, right? That's the primary lens through which they're viewing things. And, yeah. and, and there's not that much context other than, you know, whether Alabama or Georgia is, is likeliest to win the national championship, right. right? I mean, there may or may not be a ton there. Uh, you talked earlier about faculty, right? Well, the faculty are gonna say, hold on, if, if we're having to reduce X, Y, or Z millions of dollars from the operating budget, which is, I think, going to be a, a likely scenario at many, many institutions. Yep. Well, what's the opportunity cost, right? Because those chancellors, those presidents, those leaders are dealing with this, those boards. Yeah. Athletics is not the primary um, reality that they're dealing with, but it may be the most visible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I wonder to what extent. Um, this is really going to ask a lot of institutions to rethink the their relationship with athletics. You know, when I was I started at, at the American Council of Education in the early 1990s, and the then president Bob Atwell, um, who was on his way out when I was when I was a brand new junior staffer, uh, had talked about privatizing college sports in the, the 1980s. Uh, to what extent is it time to revisit that conversation for uh, Division One um, that uh, you know, the current environment is going to push market much more important uh, around decisions. Uh, it's going to create less room, um, less maneuverability within budgets. Um, you know, this, if we, if any time is to have this wholesale conversation, it may very much uh, be now. I'd be, you know, I'd love to hear what, what Karen uh, Weaver would have to say around uh, the privatization um, of Division One sports. So should we should these be wholly owned subsidiaries uh, of institutions, much like other, um, you know, public-private enterprises um, that we've got as well? And and I think you know these are important conversations for boards. The challenge is that boards, individual boards, can't really have these conversations. It's a collective board. Uh, it's a set of boards across within you know the SEC, the Big Ten, around this. Um, you know, there's a lot of outside players that shape these uh, these conversations. Uh, NCAA, um, you know, and others um, that make these these even more complex. And I think again, this is a big difference between Division One and Division Three uh, around that mission dimension of athletics. Um, you know, where I'm a trustee at the University of Laverne, uh, Division Three sports are very different than where I than where I attended and grew up. Uh, I grew up in East Lansing. Um, I went to every every home football game from the time I was probably eight, uh, if not even earlier, uh, all the way through college. Uh, you know, very different experience at a stadium with 75 or 100,000 people than uh, one of which, uh, if you want to spend five bucks, you can sit in the bleachers. Otherwise, you can sit in the field, bring your own chair uh, on the other side of the field at Laverne. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that goes to, right, the, the vast um, array of roles that intercollegiate athletics plays at, at, at different institutions. I, I want to look a little bit forward. You talked about the strategic role and, and looking long term. We, we won't be in this current situation forever, right? I mean, there will be a vaccine, immunity is going to grow, testing, treatment. I mean, there, there, there is progress and there will continue to be progress. The, the question then, be, so, so that's one dimension. At the same time, and these are some of the same 
issues you touched on earlier, there are a ton of issues that higher ed is dealing with. Institutional finances are fragile. Demographics are changing rapidly. That has an impact on composition of the student body and financial model. You got families and policymakers questioning ROI. You got player compensation, player rights, I think is an emerging you know, challenge. Uh, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, uh, have been episodic. I don't think they're going to be episodic. Uh, in recent times, they've, it, that's become more sort of the norm uh, yep. that, that that issue is, is centered. So, you know, so do you think this, do you think, or in what ways do you think this um, current situation provides an opportunity to create a different normal on the way out? I mean, one way is you just say, well, you know what, let's just hold on and hope that things get resolved quickly and then we'll go back to the way that things were. That could be one decision that institutions choose to make. Another would be to say, well, we're not going to wait to see whether that happens. What kind of normal do they want to create? I'm curious about your thinking about, uh, you know, what issues might be involved or the wisdom you think of a, you know, create the future versus uh, we have so much invested in the, the current reality. Let's just hope that it comes back to, to that normal. Yeah, I think um, you know, this, it's, predictions about the future are really hard because they're about the future. Um, I would, my sense is that we are seeing this confluence of these major social, social events. Um, you know, I don't think, I think that um, the layering of social justice and equity given, you know, think about the diversity of our division one athletics, um, how disproportionately it is people of color compared to the the mainstream student body. Um, on top of the financial challenges that the environment is, is creating. Um, I think, you know, these are some important synergies that um, may very well become a tidal wave for higher education. Uh, boards need to be prepared to recognize those. And I think what this means for, for boards and for presidents is that they need to ask different questions than what they've asked before. Um, and be willing to make decisions that lead them in some different directions. Um, there may be more will again, but these are individual at individual boards and that we need that collective collective push uh, that we I convened um, earlier this summer college presidents and people who lead uh, academic transformation efforts on different campuses often around technology driven by technology. Uh, and one of the presidents made this really insightful comment about he said, you know, we are all each of our institutions is wrestling individually with how do we solve a collective problem. And I think that same individual wrestling with the collective problem uh, is true for athletics as well. Uh, are there groups, you know, I don't think the NCAA um, or, you know, is an organization like ACE going to step up and really ask those hard questions? Um, probably not. We can hope that they do. Um, you know, I don't think we'll see much at the federal policy level uh, around these questions as well. But how do, how do we create kind of a collective response uh, to a collective problem rather than the onus on individuals uh, or individual boards and individual presidents? Um, but again, I think it's really gonna push, it, it should be pushing boards and presidents to ask different questions. Um, but it's a tough, tough situation, particularly for a lot of those, those division one folks. Well, and, and it's a tough, consideration because some of the associations that you talk about um, 
it, it's hard for them to take it. It's hard for the NCAA to take this up. They have, we, you know, we, we don't have enough time for it today, but to get into the sort of the business model of the NCAA. But people have said, well, do you think there's going to be March Madness? Now, I don't know much about anything, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be March Madness. Why? Because that's over 95% of the revenue for the NCAA. They were able to get through a year without it, probably yep. by doing all sorts. That's not going to happen again if they can, if, if they can avoid it. And so you have, in addition to the complexity you're talking about, Peter, you also have um, not always a consistency, perhaps, between the interests of the individual institution, and you could play that out at the conference level yep. and at the association level. And yep. so I think uh, as, though, <laughs> as though it were simple at the institutional level, which it's not, it just, the complexity, I think, gets magnified when you start to work across state line. Well, and I wonder to, you know, to what extent are we going to see, you know, students who become much more um, uh, assertive around athletic uh, student athlete rights. Um, you know, we've even, you know, when I was at AGB, this is what almost six years ago, seven years ago um, was when, you know, the first, uh, there was the, the student labor union uh, move uh, to unionize athletics. Are we going to see this again, driven by campus health? And we've already seen, um, student athletes trying to take a firmer stance on issues of social justice. But, you know, I think um, institutions may need to look really hard at uh, how they treat students and how they treat athletic staff. Um, you know, compensation is a different, different world uh, for athletics than it is even from faculty and administrators. And you got to add student athletes in the mix um, uh, who may not, who, if they're from uh, families with low income, uh, would probably eligible students and may not have played have paid a lot for their education uh, to begin with because the family contributions would be low. Um, you know, how do we compensate students who, um, in many ways, are putting themselves at risk in some of these these sports in before a time of COVID, let alone after a time and during a time of COVID. And 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 as our time winds down, I mean, and they're also having an example, and others can argue whether it's a good example, a bad example, or whatever. But it's certainly an example if they look at leagues like the NBA or the WNBA, who who, who have been um, very uh, assertive about um, uh, articulating their beliefs, about taking action around their beliefs in ways that that both preserve their own safety, but also that articulate around societal needs. And, and I think uh, whether that um, should or may um, influence uh, college student athletes will be an open question. But I think, again, it's to this point of context that yep. intercollegiate athletics at colleges, even if they put it in a bubble, doesn't exist within a bubble. Yep. 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 Well, and I would hope that, you know, one of the ideas I've thought about for a while, um, you know, Boards and institutions do financial audits uh, all the time of the choices they make and of their budgets and other operations. Should we also have a values audit that boards help drive around what are we valuing in these decisions that we're making? And are we elevating certain values over other ones? And are we okay with that? Uh, that could be anything from financial aid policy, but also athletics, um, you know, merit versus need. Uh, is, a, is not just an operational and strategic one, it's also a value-based conversation. And I think athletics uh, in some ways is a business and monetary conversation, but it's also a mission conversation and it's also a values conversation. And so uh, can boards create this kind of a litmus test or their own lens 
uh, to do a value audit of the decisions they and the administration are making. Well, Peter, many of our conversations over the years have centered around institutional mission and values. So it's probably appropriate, though uh, it was late in the conversation that, that we sort of leave our conversation at, a, at such a common point of departure. I'm really grateful for your time and for your insights around this important topic, and I've really enjoyed today's discussion. Great. Well, I hope that this conversation will uh, spur other conversations in boardrooms uh, in campus administration with faculty and other stakeholders as well. Um, it's not definitive. Hopefully it raised more questions than provided answers. So thanks for the opportunity today. Thanks to thanks Karen for, your time. for letting, letting us drive, uh, drive the ship. Yeah, right. Thank, thanks for your time, Peter. And listeners, I, I, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and that you found it insightful as well.